Welcome back to the Grand Valley Community Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you to meet Jesus and grow in faith. So it's Easter Sunday. And just before we get launched, I want to invite you to do something. Pull out your phone, and if you have the YouVersion Bible app installed, you can go to the Events tab and search for Grand Valley, and you'll find our event for today, and you can follow along with our message. And there's also a link you can click on where I want to, I'm going to share some questions as we go, and I want to hear your thoughts, and we're going to discuss them together before we wrap up. Or if you don't have the YouVersion app installed, you can just pull up your web browser and go to mygrandvalley.ca slash Easter, and it'll take you right to it. So today, we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus, and we know the story of what happened. In fact, it's a story, I mean, it's a story that happened 2,000 years ago. It doesn't change. There isn't some new revelation about events that happened that we can share. But we know the story. We know that Jesus was born, that he wasn't just a man. He was God himself coming in human flesh to live and walk on our earth. And as when he reached about 30 years old, he began his ministry and he gathered a group of disciples around him and he started to travel and teach and talk about this new way of having a relationship with God. He was completely reforming and shaping the way that the people connected with God. And along the way, he did miracles and these signs and wonders that proved that he wasn't just a teacher, that he was God himself who stepped into the world. And the religious leaders of the day, they couldn't really handle this. Jesus was pushing their buttons a little too much and trying to change their understanding a little too much. And they started to get angry and jealous at Jesus. And eventually, they saw an opportunity and they bribed one of his disciples to betray Jesus. And so they tried to put him on trial, but their trial failed. They couldn't come up with charges that would stick. Even when they paid off witnesses, the witnesses' testimonies conflicted each other and they couldn't condemn Jesus. And so they took him to the Roman governor of the area, Pilate, and told Pilate, you need to kill this man. And Pilate couldn't understand why. Because in Pilate's eyes, Jesus was innocent. And in fact, Pilate's wife, God had been sending her dreams, telling her to give a message to her husband, don't kill him. Something is off here. But Pilate is stuck in this spot. He's stuck between releasing an innocent, or killing an innocent man and releasing him and facing riots in Jerusalem. And so Pilate washes his hands and says, this is not on me. And he orders Jesus executed. He's condemned to die, whipped, beaten, hung on a cross like a, like a, well, like a terrorist. That's how they treated them. And Jesus takes this death that did not belong to him. But this is something that Jesus knew from the very beginning when he first came to earth. He knew that this was part of God's plan, that he would be killed as a traitor and his disciples would scatter and all the crowds that followed him would deny that they ever knew Jesus because there was something bigger that God was doing. See, on the third day, two women go to the tomb and they want to go and mourn and weep and and cry out to God because, because Jesus is dead. But when they get to the tomb, the large stone that had been rolled to seal the entrance was gone. The, temple, the, the guards that were paid off by Rome to go and stand guard and prevent the disciples from stealing Jesus' body, they fainted when the earth shook and the stone moved away. And they ran away back to the religious leaders and they said, what do we do? 
And the religious, religious leaders paid them a ton of money and said, go start a rumor that the disciples came and stole his body because we got to cover this up somehow. And so these guards were paid off to lie. So these women, they come to the tomb. It's empty. The guards are gone. And they don't know what to do. And an angel of the Lord steps in, and they are terrified. In fact, every time in Scripture when an angel of the Lord shows up, the, the reaction is always terror. They're scared. What does this mean? And the angel of the Lord comes with this message. says, don't be afraid. Jesus is alive. And so these two women go back to tell the disciples what they've seen. And as they leave from the tomb, Jesus is there. And Jesus encounters these two women and tells them that he is risen and says, go and tell the disciples this. Now, there's something I just want to pause for a moment because this is fascinating. Two women are the first witnesses to Jesus coming back to life. Now, in this day and age, this is 2,000 years ago, remember, a woman was not considered a valid witness at a trial. A woman could not stand in the witness box and give testimony. They were not permitted. But the first witnesses, the first two people that get to share and tell people that Jesus is alive are women. Jesus is doing something here. He's restoring and he's redeeming. He's building something bigger. And so Jesus goes to find his disciples. His disciples are hiding in a locked room. He finds them and they're, they're, they're keeping themselves hidden and away from the religious leaders. And Jesus shows up to them in a physical body. He appears in their locked room. He's not just a vision. He's not just some ethereal thing. He's there in his physical body, resurrected. And this is the message he gives to his disciples. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they will be forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now we're going to talk today about why. Why is the resurrection important? And there's kind of three main pieces we're going to talk about of why this matters for us today. And the first one comes in this passage when Jesus gets to forgiveness. But he starts with this blessing. Peace be with you. The disciples are terrified. They're worried that they're going to be the next ones executed. And when Jesus comes, the first thing he does is gives them a blessing. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. This is the first step of Jesus launching his church as he gives them this message, I am going to send you. And then he fulfills this promise that he made just three days earlier when they had their last meal together about sending the Holy Spirit. And he breathes on them. And this is the first step because we know in about 40 days the Holy Spirit comes in its fullness to the disciples and the the early Christians that were gathered. But this is the first step of that. Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he makes this statement. And this isn't a new statement. It's something that Jesus had told his disciples about earlier and things he had talked to the crowds about before was forgiveness. He says, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Jesus has every right to be angry. Angry at the religious leaders angry at Pilate, angry at the the crowds that followed him and then turned and fled and rejected him. Even the disciples, they have every right to be angry. Their best friend, their teacher, 
was killed like a traitor. But instead, Jesus talks of forgiveness. Why is this? See, there's two main components in this that he's talking about. He says to them that if they don't forgive, if they don't forgive those that they're holding grudges against, it'll be harder for them to accept God's forgiveness for them. See, if think of it this way. If someone offends me and I choose that I'm going to harbor anger or resentment at that person, it makes it harder and more difficult for me to understand that God wants to forgive me. It makes it harder for me to accept forgiveness when we can't forgive someone else. And this is this cornerstone that, that Jesus is saying that the church is going to be built on is this radical forgiveness. And the second part of it, why Jesus tells his disciples this, is because when we don't forgive, other people don't get to experience the freedom of being forgiven. See, Jesus had a plan in all of this. He knew that when he died, that the penalty of all our sins would be wiped away because he was the only true perfect sacrifice that lets us be in a relationship with God. And we are given this incredible freedom of having a relationship and a walk with God. But if we don't forgive others, if we don't forgive people, they never get to experience that freedom of being forgiven. The freedom that we get from God will never be passed on to others if we don't practice this forgiveness. And Jesus doesn't tell the disciples this as an option of, you know, if you want, forgive others and they'll be forgiven. No, it's a commandment. It's mandatory for the church, for the disciples to start with forgiveness. Even though they spent three days thinking that their teacher, that Jesus had been killed, and they were angry and upset, Jesus starts with this step, forgive. Because forgiveness declares that Jesus is alive. It's this radical, radical concept for the world of saying, instead of holding a grudge and holding accounts with someone, you know, quid pro quo, or just if someone's mean to you, be mean to them right back. Forgiveness stops that cycle. Forgiveness changes it. And forgiveness takes a situation where there may only be anger and, and, and strife and malice and replaces it with love, with hope with peace. Forgiveness becomes this cornerstone of the church. See, Jesus' death gained our forgiveness. And as people who are forgiven, we must forgive others. And the resurrection proves that this was effective, that we have been forgiven of whatever barriers, whatever things were between us and God. Because Jesus came alive. His death was not enough to hold him down. And so I want to ask this first question that you can respond to through the, through the uh, Uversion app or through your web browser. How has being forgiven by someone else impacted you? Now, you don't have to go into details or, or name names. I'm not asking for any of that. But just think of a time. How has it felt when you've been forgiven by someone? How did that impact and shape you? And maybe you can expand on that further how does it impact us when we recognize that we are forgiven by God? See, forgiveness is this first lesson that Jesus gives to his disciples. Now, I said there was three main reasons why the resurrection is important to us today. The first is forgiveness. The second one I want to talk about is redemption. See, when Jesus came, his goal was for everyone to come into a relationship with him 
to redeem us from whatever it was that was separating us from God. Now, the people of Israel had this great understanding of God that goes all the way back to the very beginning of the Old Testament. And it's very simple. God is holy and perfect and wonderful, and we're not. We have things that block us and are barriers between us and God. We have baggage. We have things that set us apart. But God is holy, and we're not. And this was represented in the Israelites by the tabernacle and later the temple of Jerusalem that they built. Because in the center of the temple, this this physical representation of God being on earth with them had this one chamber, this room in the center that was called the most holy place. And it was the room that contained the Ark of the Covenant, this symbol of God's promise with his people. And this most holy place, the high priest would only enter it once a year or on very special occasions. And the high priest had to go through these days-long preparation rituals of trying to to be ceremonially clean, to prepare themselves for stepping into this chamber that represented the holiness of God on earth. And when the, the, the high priest would get ready, they would wear this, this priestly garment called an ephod. And it kind of almost looked, would have looked like almost like a giant ornate bib that would kind of hang down in front of them and hang down behind of them. And this ephod was, had bells sewn into it all over it. And there was a purpose for it. It wasn't just to be musical. The purpose of it is whenever the priest moved, you would hear the bells. And they would, the, the other priests that would be around the most holy place would know that the priest was doing what he was supposed to do in the, in the place there. But if suddenly the bells stopped ringing and they heard a thud, that meant that the high priest had been stricken dead by God's glory and his holiness. The high priest wasn't worthy to step into this most holy place despite all the rituals. See, this most holy place represented God being on earth. But there's also this barrier between God and his people. This barrier that it was always God's plan and desire to break this barrier down. And in fact, this is what happened at the exact moment that Jesus died. The curtains to the most holy place ripped in half from top to bottom. And we're not talking some like little lace dainty curtain. These were heavy claws layered upon layered, three feet thick that separated the most holy place from the rest of the temple. And when Jesus dies, those curtains are torn in two. There is no more barrier between the most holy place and the rest of the world. See, this is what redemption is. To be redeemed from anything that separates us from God. To call us into a deeper relationship with God. And the resurrection of Jesus proves that this was effective. That this wasn't just something that happened at the moment Jesus died. But Jesus comes back into the world in a physical bodily presence to display that God's kingdom is now here. God is no longer contained to this most holy place of the temple. God is with us. And years later, the Apostle Paul is writing about this concept in his letter to the Corinthian church. And this is what he has to say. He says, he, talking about Jesus, Jesus died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from merely a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. 
This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. This is redemption. The new life beginning that we can have through a relationship with Christ. And the resurrection is what proves that this is real, that this happened, and that this is available for us today. And so let me ask a second question that we're going to come back to and discuss a bit later. How can we remind ourselves that Jesus has redeemed us? How do we remind ourselves of this new life that God recreates us into new people as we follow him? Now, the last part I want to talk about today is restoration. That through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can be restored. Now, Peter was kind of the leader of the pack amongst the disciples. He was the oldest of the disciples. He was kind of the, the kind of almost like second in command of the disciples as they traveled, as they, they walked around, as they moved. And, and Peter, Peter's eager. He really wants to understand what's going on. But when you just read the Gospels, and if you, if, you, if you don't go on into Acts and see what happens with Peter, if you just read the Gospels, you kind of think that, well, Peter's a bit of a screw-up. You know, he constantly gets things wrong. He constantly misunderstands Jesus and doesn't get what he's teaching about right. And then even there's these moments where Peter seems to almost like rise to the occasion. You know, like that time when they were on the Sea of Galilee and the disciples are in the boat and they're crossing the other side and Jesus isn't with them and this storm comes up. And, you know, these guys are fishermen. They know how to handle storms. But they're terrified on their boat. So, I mean, this isn't just any storm. This is a big storm. And the disciples are worried that they're going to be shipwrecked on the Sea of Galilee. And then suddenly they spot Jesus walking towards them on top of the water. And again, they're terrified. I mean, this is a common theme apparently, to be filled with terror when, when God is doing crazy and cool things. But Jesus walks up to their boat and he says to Peter, come to me. And Peter, in this great moment of faith, steps out of the boat and he walks on water towards Jesus, you know, for a few steps. And then he takes his eyes off Jesus, he looks at the waves and he starts to sink. And Jesus has to grab him and pull him back up. You know, he was so close. He almost had it, and then he falls. Well, on the evening of the Last Supper, Jesus, Peter says to Jesus, I will never desert you, makes this bold claim. But then what happens is Jesus says to him, No, Peter, before the morning, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to reject that you ever knew me. And Peter says, No, that'll never happen. But sure enough, Jesus is arrested. And overnight, there's three opportunities where someone looks at Peter and says to him, you were with Jesus of Galilee, weren't you? You knew him. You were one of his disciples. And all three times, Peter says, no, I never knew him. He rejects Jesus three times. And on the third time, the moment he says, no, I never knew him, the rooster crows for the morning light. See, Jesus, Peter made this claim, and he broke it. Now, a little later, after Jesus had appeared to the disciples a couple times, there's this one time that I want to talk about. And what happens is Peter and six of the other disciples, they've gone back to their day jobs, essentially. They've gone back to being fishermen. 
And so Peter and the disciples are out on their boat all night long, and they don't catch a single fish. Sounds like a lot of fishing trips, doesn't it? But in the morning, as they're starting to get ready to come to the shore, they see a man on the shore, and he calls out to them, have you caught any fish? And they yell back, no. And the man calls them and says, put down, cast your net on the other side of the boat and see what happens. And so the disciples are kind of like, well, we caught nothing, got nothing left to lose. Let's try it. They throw their net out, and instantly it is full. The biggest catch they've ever had. And they're struggling to haul this net into the boat because it's so full of fish. And Peter realizes something. That's not just any man on the shore. That's Jesus. He's appearing to them again. He's come again. And so Peter just jumps off the boat and swims to the shore. You know, leaves the other guys. Fend for yourself. You know, fight with this full net. Peter just tears off. He swims to shore. And when he gets there, Jesus has a campfire on the beach already. And he's roasting fish over the fire for them. So the other disciples come in and Jesus serves them breakfast, serves them a meal to end their night of fishing. And then Jesus talks to Peter. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. I know, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And then Jesus repeats the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time, Jesus asked this question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Jesus did something very deliberate here. Three times earlier, Peter rejected Jesus. Three times here, Peter affirms that he loves Jesus. And Jesus gives him this command, feed my sheep, take care of my flock, tend to my lambs. Jesus is setting Peter up. See, Jesus told Peter earlier that he would be the rock upon which the church is built. That Peter is going to become kind of the first among apostles, the first leader of the church. Jesus first has to restore Peter. He restores Peter from his denials and gives him this commission to go forward and lead the church. And just shortly after this, the disciples are going to be gathered in, in Galilee and the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit comes to them. They got a taste before, but now the fullness of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And Peter preaches this sermon to the crowds. There's only 120 people left that have chosen to follow Jesus. And Peter gets up and filled with the Holy Spirit, he preaches and 3,000 people come to know Christ that day. See, this is what Jesus was getting at. The disciples had to start with forgiveness. They had to recognize that they've been redeemed by who Jesus is and what he's done. And then he needed to restore them so that they would be able to carry forward and do what God has called them to do. Forgive, be redeemed, be restored. That is why the resurrection matters. See, without the resurrection, there wouldn't be the forgiveness. Without the resurrection, there wouldn't be the redemption and the, the path to God being made open to us. Without the resurrection, there wouldn't be the restoration into what God has planned for us. All of these are possible because Jesus is alive. So let me ask this third question. 
for us to talk about together. Why is the resurrection of Jesus important to you? Maybe let's make it personal for a moment. What does it matter to you? When you think about the resurrection, why does it matter? And I'm going to, what you can do is on your, your phone or your device, you can type something in and it'll pop up here for me and we're going to discuss these responses together a bit. And then Steve's got the mic at the back and he's going to walk around a bit too. And so that first question, I'm just going to read a couple of the responses that have come in here. And this first one, on this first question, how has being forgiven by someone else impacted you? And someone said, I was challenged by my girlfriend on my relationship with God. Instead of accepting direction, I got angry and attacked. Her forgiveness of me led me to my wife, the partner, and the mother I know today. Forgiveness changed my direction tremendously. Wow. That's the power of forgiveness. So, how, how about this? Is, is there anyone who, who, you don't have to go into details or name names, but is there anyone who maybe wants to share a bit of, you know, how have you been impacted by someone else forgiving you? And uh, Steve will bring you the mic. I know it's kind of a personal question. If you'd rather type something in, and if something more pops up, I'll, I'll, I'll respond and add to that. Let's, let's talk about the second question then. How can we remind ourselves that Jesus has redeemed us? And someone said, put a text on your alarm daily that says, I am redeemed, to start every day with that thought. Yeah, sometimes we need to do that. You know, and, and this is the modern day thing is, you know, put it on your, your alarm on your phone. Or, you know, it used to be, you know, pastors would say, you know, put a sticky note on your mirror that says, Jesus loves me. You know, I'm redeemed. What else? What are some other ways that we can remember that Jesus has redeemed us and called us to be in a relationship with God? Any thoughts? Someone's got to be thinking something to have to share. Well, how about this third question then? Why is the resurrection of Jesus important to you? If you think personally for a moment, why is Easter important? What does this mean to you? Actually, our whole, our whole salvation is based on the resurrection. Had it not happened... Um, there would be no plan of salvation, and we would be, when we're dead, we're dead. That simple. Yeah, without the resurrection, there is no salvation. There is, <laughs> without the resurrection, everything that Jesus came to do was basically nothing. And, you know, in fact, you know, it's one of the things where that, that rumor of the guards that, oh, the disciples had to come and steal his body. That's why there's no body in the tomb. You know, if you think about it, that would have completely invalidated everything the disciples believed. You know, when the disciples went on, only one of them got to die of natural causes. The rest all got martyred and killed. And many other early Christians were killed for their faith. You wouldn't do that if you didn't believe in this, how solid the resurrection is to our salvation. Any other thoughts? Why is the resurrection important to you? There's a, a comment came in on the app here saying, it reminds me of not only the lengths that Jesus came to buy me back, but he filled his word so that I can trust in his promises. 
So for me, it's very important because uh, it reminds me of Christ dying because for my sins and then redeeming me and letting me go free to worship him and glorify him every day. Yeah, the, the freedom that comes because of the resurrection. Any last thoughts? Anything more to add about why the resurrection is important to you or for, for any of the three questions we've got up there? Steve? Oh, right up front here first. Or he's, he's going. I think the resurrection is important because it, he not only died that very uncomfortable death for it, it wasn't a comfortable death at all, that he, when he was dead, he also conquered hell and the grave. So whatever comes against us, if we have Jesus on our side, then we can overcome anything because he's already overcome everything. Exactly. Death is not the final word. Death is not the end because Jesus proved that that isn't the end. I think there was someone else had their hand up there. All right. Um, yeah, I guess it's everything, right? It's the reason that we're sitting here. It's the second covenant. It's the reason that I can let go of sin and shame. It's the reason that I can approach God with confidence. It's the reason I don't have to do sacrifices every year and go to temple, right? It's everything. It's the release. It's the freedom. It's the broken chains. It's the broken walls. If we want it, if we let go of the chains that are broken, right? That's just That's it. it. Yeah, exactly. Jesus has removed every barrier. He's created a new covenant with us that we have to overcome. Was there another hand that, that popped up somewhere over this, this side, Steve? We're making him get his, uh, his extra steps in today. I have a comment for a first question. I actually, um, I find it interesting that um, letting, um, not, not, only, um, not only being forgiven impacts your life, but also the power of you um, forgiving someone, it's for me. It's actually um, relieving a greater burden than than the other way. And and anyone, any anybody, um, probably everyone in this room has been on both sides, right? So, um, yeah. Yeah, we've all been on both sides of that of that forgiveness and that that releasing of that burden when we forgive someone is is huge and is powerful and it's it's essentially what frees us to be able to understand God's forgiveness for us. I know for myself, this past couple of weeks, I had a doctor that I had to forgive, and I was very angry at him. And I just thought I would just stew in my anger and leave it at that. And then a coworker said, well, why don't you talk to Michelle? So I did. I emailed him and said I wanted to meet with him, and he came into my office. And, and I just was very, very open and honest with him how he had made me feel. And it was amazing that the whole outcome of that meeting um, we both forgave each other. We ended in love and friendship, and, and we're great now. So I'm just so thankful that God gave me the courage and the boldness to be able to confront him and clear the air. Yeah. No, and that's, and that's part of what this, how, how the resurrection gives us hope and gives us, because we can see these times when this happens where, you know, it's uncomfortable and it's difficult to forgive. It's hard to do, but the outcome of it is worth it. Thank you for sharing that. 
All right, we'll kind of, I think there's one more and then we'll carry on. No, go for it. We want you to talk. It'll be a long one. Okay. Um, (laughs) I was in an abusive relationship when I was young and it wasn't fun, obviously, but that's how I got connected with God and it was very hard for me to forgive him. But when I confronted him and I said, I don't, I'll never forget what you did, but I forgive you for everything you've done. The look on his face was kind of shocked because he didn't believe. But for me, it was amazing because you can hold on to that anger and that will eat away at you. And that's not what Jesus wants. So if we can fully forgive, it doesn't even matter. If someone stole your cookie, it doesn't matter what happened in your life. Forgive people no matter what. It is the most rewarding thing in the world. Thank you for sharing that. And that's, I mean, that, that summarizes it so much because... Jesus came to make forgiveness possible for us, to make it possible for us to forgive others. And even in, you know, an an awful traumatic experience, forgiveness led you closer to God. So thank you for sharing that. That's, That's exactly what we're about and exactly why we care about this. Because as we experience forgiveness, we want others to experience forgiveness. As we experience hope and the love of Christ, we want others to experience hope and the love of Christ. That's why we gather and do this, why we gather as a community, why we want to challenge ourselves to grow deeper in our walk with God, and why we want to share the truth of who Jesus is, the love that he has for us with our world. Because this wasn't the end of the story. In fact, Jesus' death and resurrection was just the beginning of the next chapter. You know, and if you read through the book of Acts, you start to see how all these pieces that Jesus was trying to teach his disciples, how when they're empowered by the Holy Spirit, they carry forward and they do incredible things. They're the reason that 2,000 2000 years later, the church is still strong, that we believe in who God is. And so I don't know where you're at. If you maybe have followed God for a long time or maybe you, you just came along here because it's Easter and you, you know, that's just what you do or maybe you got dragged along to be here. But I want to invite you into accepting Jesus' forgiveness. I want to invite you into experiencing his love and his hope and his redemption that he has for us. And if you want to do that, all, you can, all I'm going to ask is just pray along with me silently in your head. You don't have to speak it out loud. But let's close our service in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you created us and you call us your children. And Father, thank you that you've called each one of us into a relationship with you and that your desire is for the whole world, for everyone, to know your love, to know your hope, to know your peace. And Father, as we're here We want to dedicate ourselves to you. We want to dedicate ourselves to following who you are, to being transformed and renewed by who you are and what you've done. Father, may you give us your Holy Spirit abundantly. May we be filled with your presence and aware of you around us. And Father, thank you that you have forgiven us for all the things we've done that have have put barriers between us and you. You've already forgiven us for those things. And so, Father, as we're gathered here, May we be a community that is filled with your grace and your presence. May we be a church that is literally a light on the hill, sharing the hope, the forgiveness, the redemption, and the restoration that is only possible through you. In the name of the Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, next week, I want to just give a quick promo and an invite for next week. 
Next Sunday, we're launching into a new sermon series called Overwhelmed, When Too Much is Too Much. And this is probably something we've all faced at some time in our lives, feeling stressed, feeling a little burnt out, feeling like too much is too much. Well, we're going to talk about that together. We're going to talk about how God meets us in that. And so I want to invite you, come back next week. We're going to launch this off together, and I hope to see you here. And folks, have a, have a wonderful, happy Easter. We hope this message helps you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. For more information about us, visit gvccbrandon.ca.